Welcome, welcome this morning. Uh, our stage looks a little different. Uh, things going to happen this week with Vacation Bible School, so I hope you're praying about that. All those kids who are kindergarten through fifth grade, if you guys can make your way this way. The three, four, and five-year-olds, if you make your way to the back. If you're a visitor with us today, uh, know that afterwards we could, we'll direct you as to where to pick up your kids afterwards. They're not going to come back in here, so that'll be important for us to help you with that. Anyway, our Vacation Bible School, the theme is Rocky Wet Railway. What's so neat about our Vacation Bible School is we, there's actually six churches working together. So I am expecting over 200 kids. We'll see how many we end up with. We already have registered like 100 and maybe it's 130 so far. And, and so if your child is not registered, I, let me see if it's still there. Uh, there, there is this and please, I am technically challenged, but I understand that you could take a picture of this. Summer, you are with me on this. But, but you can register your kids online using this little device or this, this little image right there. You, some of you know what it is. I don't. But I, I think somehow through my phone I could, I could register your kids. If you're like me and you're saying, I don't know how to do that, uh, please see us back at the, the Welcome Center afterwards and we could help you get, uh, get your children registered for vacation bible school i hope your summer's going well uh it, it is it is a blur and everybody i talk to seems like summer is just like a blur it's going so fast and and here we are we're midway through if you didn't know that we're, we're just halfway through this this summer and and i'm about to preach the third sermon in the summer that that and and yeah there's there's sermons i didn't get to preach of course being at park and and others preaching on my behalf. So we're, we're in the book of Ruth. And, and today we're going to begin the second chapter. And, and up in the first chapter so far, we've heard about two, the two characters has been Naomi and Ruth, for which the book is named. Naomi and Ruth. And as we enter into the second chapter, we begin with those two characters. Now, if you haven't been with us, here's, here's a quick view of the story of Naomi and Ruth and how we got to the end of chapter 1. Uh, there is a famine in all of Israel. And, and Naomi and her husband Elimelech, along with their two sons, to escape the famine, they're around Bethlehem where they are. They, they pull up roots and they, they move to Moab to get relief. They're, they're, they're looking for relief. So they move to Moab and shortly after they make this move to Moab, Elimelech dies. Now the two sons, soon after, marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And after their marriage, her two sons die. So she is now a widower with no sons, but has two daughter-in-laws. Now, the dialogue that we read about in chapter 1 actually comes when Ruth uh, finds out or hears from home, hey, things are good here. And the Lord is blessing once again. So that means, hey, harvest is producing. And, and so she, she thinks, I'm going to go back home. But for Orpah and Ruth, the dialogue comes when she tells them, hey, ladies, go back home. And, and, and the reason is why. Now, there's, there's, there is a, a, a real emotion and connection with these ladies. It's not like, hey, get out of here. I'm tired of you. I mean, there, there's embracing. There's weeping. And, and 
Naomi does this for their own good. Matter of fact, she says, you need to go home because I cannot provide for you. If you go home to your families, they're going to be able to provide for you. And guess what? And that's where you're going to be able to find husbands. So in Naomi's mind, she says, what's best for you is to just go home, and I'm going to return to my home where I have nothing. I have nothing. That's kind of her attitude. Uh, Orpah, Orpah, after weeping and embracing, listens to Naomi and returns to her family. Ruth, on the other hand, what we talked about last week was, man, pretty much dedicated herself, committed herself to, to Naomi with words like, hey, your people, they're going to be my people. Your God, my God. Where, where you die, I will die. Where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. So she, she has this perspective, I'm never going to return home again. I, my life is, is with you. And it, 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 last week we talked about how, how wonderful a commitment that was. Matter of fact, so wonderful. It is the kind of commitment that God desires from us. That was last week's lesson. The, the first lesson we talked about, Naomi. I hear, here's a woman that, that is just, the word used is bitter, but it's not like she has a bitter heart, but she felt like God is bitter towards her. His hand was against her. And so we, we talked about in that first week, have you ever lived that life where you just feel like God is against me? You know, is God against me is, is the question that we dealt with on that particular Sunday. As we get into chapter 2, as we get into chapter 2, uh, we're, we're going to be introduced to another character. His name is Boaz. And, and we're going to deal with Boaz uh, in another sermon, but not today. Even though he's introduced today, I, I'm going to deal with Boaz next week. Today, I'm going to deal with God. Where, where is God in this story? What, which is, maybe if you've read through it, and I encourage you, it's four chapters. It's a, really an easy read. Many of you could read through it in 30 minutes. If you take your time and, and read it and just took it in, probably 30 minutes and you'd have the this, this story read. So I, if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to read it. But if you read through it, you're not going to see anywhere where it says, thus says the Lord, or the Lord said anywhere. Uh, God does not speak to anyone in, in this book of Ruth. Uh, also, you're not going to see the parting of the waters or any miraculous events coming from God. You, you're not going to see God working in any outstanding, miraculous way throughout the book of Ruth. So where's God? It's kind of the question. Uh, let's read this second chapter. I'm going to read verses 2 through 13. And, and what we're about to read is where Ruth meets Boaz. So listen carefully uh, of what takes place here. Um, matter of fact, let me read for you. The narrator says some, and I think they're important things in verse 1. So I don't want to skip that. It's not going to be up here. But here's what the narrator says in verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the, the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. So the narrator says, Boaz. It's kind of introducing Boaz as the story now is going to be unfolded, okay? And so here is Ruth and Naomi in that Bethlehem, Bethlehem area. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, actually, she says, whoever I find favor. 
actually was within the law, that, that those who were in need, like widows or, or others who were in poverty, the law established a, a means for them to, to have a right to come into a field and, and, and pick up what was left over after, after a, a harvest had taken place. It was, it was kind of their welfare system or part of the welfare system. It was there, it was available, and they were not to chase them off, but they were supposed to welcome them in and allow them to harvest as well. Now, Ruth might have had the same or something of the same in Moab. But anyway, she tells, uh, she tells Naomi, I'm going to go glean in a field. Uh, pick up on, on uh, the last part of verse 2 says, and Naomi told her, said, hey, that sounds good. Go ahead, my daughter. In verse 3, let's pick that up. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from, from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, oh, excuse me, did I miss something? I did, I, I'm sorry. The, the overseer replied, let me go back to six. My, my, please be patient with me. <laughs> Verse six, the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, I, that might be what I missed. She said, please let me glean and gather, uh, gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Your brains were ahead. Mine just caught up. Sorry about that. All right, verse 8. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The story really does go on. You could go ahead and read the rest of chapter 2 and see the, the things, the kindness that, that Boaz continues to show to, Naomi, to, to Ruth. Uh, but at this point, I, I, wanna, I want us to look at their meeting. And, and matter of fact, we, 
we see a kindness given both ways. Boaz received her, heard who this is, and he's already in admiration of, of Ruth. He's, he's admiring her. For what reason? Because he's already heard how Ruth has, has, has uh, treated uh, his, his uh, relative Naomi, Elimelech's wife. Uh, she has treated her with such kindness and, and the commitment. He sees the commitment that she's laid out uh, on behalf of Naomi. And, and, and as well, because of his response, uh, Ruth is just so thankful and, and appreciative of how uh, Boaz has responded. Man, he's been generous. He's given generous. Matter of fact, later on, if we continue reading, uh, we'll see that after this one day, she carries home near 30 pounds of barley. She wouldn't have been able to do that if it was just going back and, and picking what the harvesters left behind. Some things that he does is she has an easy harvest day and takes 30 pounds of barley home. Could you imagine Ruth? I mean, could you imagine Naomi saying, oh my goodness, what happened? <laughs> and she does return home and share that with, with uh, Naomi. What a great day. What a great day. Here, here's where I want to go. Verse th 3 and 4. If you go back and look with me at verse 3 and 4. Uh, there's something that really caught my attention early on. In verse 3, you know, she goes out into this field, and it is randomly. I know the narrator has said, you know, this is that location where Boaz is. But in the story, uh, Ruth tells Naomi, I'm going to go out and glean in the field. And she says, okay, uh, sounds good. Doesn't give her instruction, doesn't tell her where to go. And, and so Naomi goes, I mean, Ruth goes out, and she finds a field and it so happens to be Boaz's. And it, it actually re, re, reads like that in verse 3. Matter of fact, it says, as it turned out in the NIV. As it turned out, oh, I'm in Boaz's field. The uh, ESV says, it so happened, or it, it uses the word, it happened that she is in Boaz's field. I, what does that sound like? Matter of fact, the commentator that I was reading said you could translate it like this. Uh, as luck would have it, she ended up in Boaz's field. As luck would have it, she ended up in Boaz's field. Now, now to add that, to that kind of, oh, by chance attitude, in verse 4, when Boaz shows up, uh, actually, he, in the NIV, it says, just then Boaz arrived, uh, the commentator said, you know, it's almost like, surprise, Boaz is here in his field at the same time, and they meet. Well, let me ask you just a simple question. Is this story of Ruth meeting Boaz by chance or by providence? I mean, the words that I just read to you, boy, it sounds like, boy, it was just, boy, oops, Wow, the story just happened. But I, I, let me go ahead and answer that question now. And now I'll unfold it here a little bit. But, but the answer is this. It is absolutely by providence. God, God brought Boaz and Ruth together. And I think that's important because when we're reading a story like this, we need to know that God's in charge. Has anybody had some difficulties here lately in, in, in troubles and, and the way the world's looking to say, God, where are you? <laughs> anybody asking that openly in prayer? 
Yeah. I know I've, I've had some saying, you know, and I was with a family yesterday that was asking kind of the same thing. Is God paying attention? Is God near or is he off? Man, God is a great God, we know, but, you know, there's things going on all over the world. Is he busy somewhere else right now? Do you feel like God just isn't close, isn't near? And I, I think there's definitely things in life that would get us to do that. But you as a believer need to know and understand that God is always attentive. And especially this, God is always active, not only in the world, but God is always active in your world. Up close, and he's there. You, we need to know that. Because as I say here, it makes a difference. It makes a difference knowing that and being confident that God is attentive, that he is involved in this world. And, and I'd like to just uh, talk about that here the next few moments. Uh, what difference does that make? First of all, we face each day knowing the world is under his control. I should say we have confidence that each day, uh, we, we have confidence each day knowing that God is, that this world is under his control. Again, I'll say it. Man, there's difficulties and ugliness happening. If you watch the news, or even in our own neighborhoods, there's a lot of, a lot of ugliness happening in this world. Uh, there, there is, a lot of times I just say, hey, there's chaos in the world. Hey, there's chaos amongst the political parties. Do you see it? Are, are you with me? There, there is absolute chaos in the way they treat each other, and it just seems, can they ever come together? I don't know how. I don't know how. Sometimes I shake my head. How could they ever come to any kind of agreement? There seems to be, and that's our government. And, and there's such violence working in this world. People who have opinions that are willing to think, man, the only way for me to get my opinion across is to be violent about it. And that's happening. And, and, and there's, of course, there's wars going on. And, and matter of fact, we have people talking about wars and, and, and the doom and gloom of recession is upon us. And, and so when, when you wake up and you think and you look and maybe you're even in the midst of your own difficulties and you ask that question, where are you, God? Are you here? But, but a believer, if we believe in God, we know he is actively working in this world. Let me, let me go to the story to show you what I mean. Again, I'll say it. Ruth and Boaz met because God set it up. Providence. God was involved in that. Ruth and Boaz was involved. Now, the author, uh, the, 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 the commentary I was reading is one of the sharpest commentaries and, and is very helpful for understanding He's the one that brought up, he said, really, in the Hebrew, what it's saying is, man, it is, this is by luck. It's by luck that this happened. And, and as he was explaining, he said, man, the, the writer is actually using sarcasm or hyperbole. It's like a, a huge exaggeration. As he's writing and those who are reading it, what they're reading is, that, oh, and just by luck, Ruth, Ruth she finds herself threshing in the field what, that Boaz owns. And then surprisingly, there's Boaz. Perhaps even the, the idea of to Ruth, this is by chance, but God is bringing these two people together. God is bringing these two people together. And, and we see, and, and I think that's the value of this book. Even later on, we're going to see why. What, one of the things that I learned from an Old Testament uh, 
history class. Matter of fact, one of the first classes I had when I went to Bible college was Old Testament history. It was a little overwhelming at first because I knew the stories. I never put them together and, and, and knew some of the depth of the stories. But when I sat through that class, I loved my teacher. His name was Jim Markham. And there was a consistent lesson as we went through this book. As, as you go through the book, uh, this Old Testament book, one of the lessons that you will see continuously is God is leading history. God is in charge. He is leading, I mean, through, throughout Genesis, throughout the time of kings, throughout the time of the uh, divided kingdom, uh, through judges, through every book, God is directing history. Uh, overall, it's going to be for his purpose. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but overall it is for his purpose. He is leading, he is in control of history. And, and so, um, uh, let's look at Naomi. Naomi even had that idea, God's in charge, God's, God's leading. Let me go back to chapter 1, a few verses. In, in chapter 1, verse, uh, um, uh, let me excuse, excuse me, I think it's 16. Yeah, oh, excuse me, verse 13. He that's where she tells her daughters-in-law, hey, you need to go home. Why? Because God's hand is against me. Oh, this, this, this famine, God has taken Elimelech away. My sons are gone. God's hand is against me. And, and honestly, I, I talked about this on that first Sunday. Again, God made it very clear, warned Israel, hey, if you disobey me, if you know, we're in this covenant, and if you disobey me, you're going to have troubles. Guess what was trouble? Famine was one of those troubles. Or other nations are going to, to come, and, uh, to come and, and oppress you. And, and that all happened throughout the book of Judges. This famine came because the people refused to be obedient before God. So, yeah, in a way, Ruth was, I mean, Naomi was right. The hand of God was against because of their overall sinfulness. And she continued on in verse 20. Verse 20, it goes on uh, where, where she says, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. That's where he said, Don't call me Naomi Pleasant. Call me Mara. Have you ever wanted to change your name? Because, oh, man, God is just against me. Is this, you know, something. But that was Naomi. Change, I, don't, I cannot be called Pleasant. I need to be called Bitter. Because my life is bitter because God has, has directed bitterness towards me and his hand is against me. Verse 21, uh, she said, when I left Bethlehem, I was full. You know, it was her and Elimelech and her two boys. And when I came back, I came empty. I have no family. Matter of fact, to the two girls, she says, I have nothing to give you. But right now, Naomi is just kind of like existence. And, that, and so that was, that was part of her life. That's where she sees God working in her in her life is just, man, it's just difficulties. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the, the result that God desired was repentance. We still see Naomi involved. And matter of fact, here's in that story. Man, that sounds sad. That sounds heavy. But Naomi's story is not over. At, at the point of, at the end of chapter 1, Naomi's story is not over. And chapter 2 is happening. Keep that in mind. God is actively working. God, God is actively working. Hey, listen, when, when life circumstances come upon you, are you one to say, man, that was lucky if it was something fortunate? Are we using the words lucky or, wow, what a coincidence that I met you here? Or are you, you familiar with some of those things? 
my wife has always been the one to bring up and said, hey, she, she is adamant about this. God brought us together. God, and I've always kind of, yeah, yeah, God brought us, you know, I just kind of, it's, she's moving towards that romantic stuff. And I'm, I'm going, oh, yeah, God's brought us together. But I, I will honestly tell you, I, I am confident that God brought us together. I, you know, I was going to Ozark Christian College at the time, and we met at Ozark Christian College. She did tell me one time that she had her eyes on a, a, another college that was more expensive and things like that, but because of finances, uh, you know, and, and things like that, she ended up going to cheap old Ozark Christian College with cheap old Ronnie. <laughs> and we met and married, and, and she has not just been my wife, she has been my partner in ministry. You know what I'm saying? She has been my partner in ministry. She's not just a lady that, that I live with and she goes and works here, but she's, she has ministry of her own and she supports me and she prays for me and we've done this together. I, so I absolutely, I'm with her on that. I, I don't believe Matthew and Eric are here by chance as, as our ministry. I don't believe I'm here by chance. There's things that happen in bringing me here that, that I'm, I'm confident that God is the one who brought me here. I'm confident in Eric and, and Matthew, their ministry here. I'm confident in you being here today. That it's not by chance. I believe God directed, God led. This is a place where, yeah, man, I, I hope that you feel this, that this is where I, I need to be challenged and, and where I could grow. See, I don't think that if... If you know that God is active, that you know that God is working in this world. That's why I'm coming to point number two. That if, if you are confident that God is actively working in this world, then number two, God's people are going to be active in praying. You're going to be praying people. Because if God is active and, he's, and he has uh, your, uh, you have his attention, he's going to be listening, then, then you ought to be, hey, lifting up some requests before him, right? Naomi prayed. Naomi prayed. In verse 8 and 9 of chapter 1, what did she pray? In, in, in verse 8, she said, uh, pray that the Lord shows you kindness, the same kindness that you've given to me in the death of, of, of my sons. You know, I mean, they could have gone home after their sons died. They stayed with Naomi. They, were, they continued to be faithful in supporting Naomi. They stayed with her. And so the kindness you've shown to me, part of her prayer is, May the Lord show you that same kindness. And, and in the next verse, she, she prays, and may you find rest in the home of another husband. May the Lord help you find a rest in the home of another husband. That's that idea. Go home, get married. Have the families that I cannot provide you. That's what Naomi was praying on behalf of her daughters. So her life was miserable and even seemingly over, but she was still praying before a God who was listening, saying, bless these two young ladies. She didn't stop praying. She was still seeing God as being active. You know, Jesus prayed. Now, I always think, you know, that, that seems odd. Isn't he the son of God? Why would he need to go before God? But he did it, and he did it often. Disciples had to go looking for him. You know, wake up in the morning, where's Jesus? Oh, he's out someplace in a solitary place talking to God the Father. He is out there talking to God and, and, and laying, laying out maybe the day or whatever, praying up his, his 12. Who, who knows the content of his prayer? But he was praying. He was actively lifting up requests before God. And, and guess what? The disciples saw it. And they came to the point of saying, hey, teach us how to pray. 
Okay, guys, let me give you an example. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he goes on and on. And he, he shows them, he gives them an example of prayer. And, and, and they learn from that. They glean from that. And they adapt it and they bring it into their own lives. They have that opportunity. Prayer is, is so important. If God is active, prayer is important. Matter of fact, Paul later on, I think this is a significant verse, but, but Paul told the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He said, he begins with this, let your gentleness be evident to all. So he's given instruction to the Philippian believers. And then he moves here. A powerful statement, just a simple verse if you remember this. He says, the Lord is near. Oh, you remember that. The Lord is near. That's what we've been talking about this morning. He is near. He is present. He is, he is within earshot of, of all of us. Our prayers are significant. So he goes on to say, do not be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your uh, request to God. He says, pray. To people who believe that God is present and working in this world and working around you, man, you're going to be involved in prayer. I shouldn't stand up here and say, hey, one of the things you ought to be responsible for doing in your life is praying. You should pray. Pray every day. Come on, do it. You shouldn't have to do that. Because if you know that God is active and working, guess what? I want to find my time to talk to God. I want to rise up in the morning. Some of the first things I want to do is say, hey, God, thank you for another day. And, Lord, I have this on my table. Please, uh, uh, please strengthen me through this. Please give me wisdom. You know, I begin to address those before God. Matter of fact, I don't know. There's numerous times, you know, in my 62 years, especially as an adult, a father and a husband, I remember waking up. Early in the morning. When I say early, I, I remember times at 2.30, 3, 4 o'clock in the mor morning. And I would, I would wake up and there would be a heavy load. You know what I'm talking about? Many of you know what I'm talking about. There's a heavy load. There's something happening. Maybe it's in my world. Maybe it's in the world of someone I'm concerned about. Or maybe within the church. And it is a heavy load. And I cannot turn my brain off. It just keeps keeps thinking. I, I might even doze off and I'm waking up again thinking about the same thing. And it is a heavy load. And, and so I know I'm not going to go back to sleep. So I, I, I take that load. I get up. I put my clothes on. I come over here and, and I just start walking around the sanctuary and I, I begin to, to pray. It is, it is, it, it is so amazing to me. The number of times that, and some of the burdens that, that I've had to carry, that, you know, and that you had as well, that, that in the midst of prayer, I'm acknowledging my God who he is, creator of the universe, designer, a lover of his creation, and a part of his creation. And, and I'm bringing this heavy load, and I'm, I'm laying it down, I'm saying, God, help! And by the time I'm done praying, man, it all of a sudden makes more sense here. This is nothing compared to what my God has done. 
There is, there's been nothing that I've faced in life that has been anything compared to what God's already done. I mean, he spoke the word and things came into creation. The galaxies and, and all that we could see with our eyes, God spoke it into existence. That's our God. And, and he cares for me. He cares for me. Are you, and I could bring my request before him. Lord, and he might not take the, the situation away, Way, but he gives me strength, and he gives me wisdom in plowing through it. I know uh, sometimes even, uh, you know, there's times I've come up with a solution in that time of prayer. There are times that I say, I'm walking away from the burden near, near giddy. You know, just, I can't believe he did that, you know. I, I want you to know that, man, every day, whether there's a burden there or not, learn to pray. I, I know, I'm, I, I've had conversations with many of you, and I know you do. It's, I've had those conversations where, yeah, I'm just driving down the road, turn the radio off, and we'll just spend some time praying. Or, or it's that moment, I'm about to meet someone, I'm just under my breath, I said, God, give me wisdom on what to say, or God, help me to be bold in what I'm about to say, you know, in the midst of maybe sharing Jesus with someone. And, and prayer just begins to happen in life. But there's got to be that, I, I believe no one's praying. If you don't think that God is actively working, you're not praying. So you're asking yourself, why am I not praying? It's just that. It's not because you're listening to someone tell you to pray. It's because you just don't see God actively working in this world, actively working in your world. God is actively working in this world on behalf of his kingdom, of which you're a part of. He is absolutely there. Now, with that, I want to add this third point. Very important. Knowing that he's actively working in this world, we come to this place that we could trust God and his, uh, God working out in his loving kindness. We can trust God in his, in God, we could trust in God's loving kindness. Can't even read my own point. Uh, we could trust that, that uh, God is working through his loving kindness. What? His direction. His direction, his purpose. Hey, his will, his plan is greater than mine. You know, I, I mean, there's things that I, I, I need prayer for, and I will lift those up, but his will, his plan is greater than mine. Matter of fact, let me go back into this, this message. Uh, his loving kindness, God's loving kindness is in display of bringing these two together. His loving kindness is there. It is that hesed. I, I introduced the word hesed last week. Hesed is in this book of uh, Ruth. Hesed is that word uh, that is hard to define by one or two words in English. It, it, it is a specific covenant word. Loving kindness. And, and even patience displayed to Naomi. It is that uh, she's not being with Naomi out of any kind of obligation. She has that want to. I want to be there. I, I, I love you. I want to commit myself to you. Again, that's the kind of love that God wants for us. But guess what? That hesed is the love that he is giving to us, that he has given to us. And he works his plan for his people's purpose. Uh, actually, for his purpose. And, he, and, and we're part of that purpose. He wants us to be a part. He wants us to be his kingdom. He's, why? How do we know that? He sent Jesus. His main story, he sent Jesus in order for us to be redeemed. To be redeemed and atoned for and brought into his, his kingdom. And so 
Jesus did say, well, how, how do you pray? Okay, he wants to hear what we're praying, but how do we pray in this, that in the light of his loving kindness? I do think it changes our prayers. It ought not to be self-centered, all about me. It ought to be somehow mixing wonderfully God's kingdom and my present circumstances. Some of the things that I pray for, of course, one of the things I pray for, I, I pray for family. And, and one of my consistent prayers is I have nine grandchildren. I have nine grandchildren. I, I want God, I pray that each one not only has that opportunity, I pray they come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I also pray that they become kingdom people. There's, I, I think that's one and the same. They, they ought to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they ought to become kingdom people, affecting the world around them on behalf of his kingdom. I want my grandkids to do that. You know, we, we had uh, Emma and, and London both baptized this year, so it, thank you, God. That's, a, that's the beginnings. They had their start of receiving. Now it's, it's growing and teaching and, and embracing them in that, you know, helping them along and, and, and continuing to pray for them. And I pray for my church. I pray for you. Uh, you know, man, we all pray for those around the church. And, man, there's a lot of folks. We have some folks in, in, in the hospital and some difficulties going. I mean, that's part of the praying. That, that's not primary to me. Uh, yeah, I know there's financial problems. There's marital problems. And there's, oh, man, there's so, so much difficulties. Part of the weighty burden sometimes. But, but my greatest prayer, the primary prayer, is that we're Jesus' people. That, that, that we are dedicated to Jesus Christ and that we are maturing in him, coming into a great maturity, that we're learning from him, we're going through difficulties and we're learning from those difficulties, but we are maturing in Christ and, and we, are, we too are, are affecting his kingdom and, 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 and living out in this world around us for his purpose. Are you with me on that? What's your prayer looking like? Hey, I want you to be involved in prayer. Hey, because God is working in this world today. He is absolutely working in this world today. And, and we have to have confidence. If we know that he's working in this world, we're going to be confident people that no matter what we see happening in this world, we're going to know that it is not out of his control. It is under his control. He's leading, guiding to that final purpose. You know, his kingdom come it's coming. Uh, also, don't, don't forget about prayer. If we're confident that God is actively working in this world, we're not going to be neglectful in prayer. I, I believe that the more we understand, the more we, we believe that God is active in this world, we are going to be praying people. Daily basis, not just meals. We're going to find those times to pray. We're going to learn about it. We're going we're to grow in it, disciplined in it. And, and along with that, in our prayer, we're going to be influenced with the fact that God is, is rolling out his purpose around us. It ought to be part of our, the way we pray, the way we acknowledge him. It is going to be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because there is nothing better than God unfolding his great glorious purpose in this world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray uh, before you today. We ask, Lord, that your word will continue to be our strength, continue to be our direction. Father, your spirit, your word, Lord, your church, all given to us in order that we could be your people, that we could listen 
be attentive, uh, and to, to especially your direction. Father, help, help us to grow to, to, to into that maturity into Christ, uh, loving you, serving you, affecting your kingdom, affecting the world around us. God, we praise you and thank you for every day that you give us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.